Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, it says this. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod. I love physical Bibles. I love my online Bible. I'll listen to the Bible as I'm driving in my car and I'll read it on my phone. But there's something about having a physical Bible. I use my Bible like a journal and men don't have journals. So I have a revelation book, but I, I use my Bible to write down just different things that God will tell me. I think it's key. If you don't have a physical Bible, there's free Bibles in the lobby. Go and grab one on your way out because there's just something about underlying certain things. If you have a Bible, all that to say, underline that phrase, that it might be fulfilled. That it might be fulfilled. And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled. You might have this wondering thought in your mind, why am I going through this difficult season? That God's word might be fulfilled in your life. Why, why do I have to deal with this sickness that, that God's word might be? That there's something that's going on that's so much bigger than just that situation. God is at work and he's fulfilling something in you. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt, I called my son. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful for this moment. This moment in your presence, God, you're a God that takes situations that do not look beneficial. And God, you turn them for our good. You said all things work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. God, we love you and we're called. God, you know every situation represented in this room under the sound of my voice. God, do what only you can do. And we will be ever so careful to give you all the glory. And God, we praise you in advance that the Ravens are going to whoop up on the Pittsburgh Steelers today. It is your will. So we join in agreement with you. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Pastor, you don't pray over the Ravens every Sunday. I'm not nervous every Sunday. I only do it. I only do it on the Sundays. I make sure I come into agreement with the will of the Lord. Some of you are like, do I say amen? Is that? I don't know. What's amazing about God is from the beginning of time, he has been penning, authoring, writing the most powerful, beautiful story of hope and redemption ever known to mankind. Just because we're not aware of what God is up to doesn't mean that he's not up to something. And sometimes it's in hindsight that you realize he was at work the entire time. What people may not realize is from the beginning of time, God has been actively working, actively writing a story for one intended purpose, and that is to reintroduce himself to 
humanity. You see, God, in the beginning, he made man on the earth. He made male and female, Adam and Eve. The Bible says that we were made in the image of God. In the image of God, he made us to look like him, to talk like him, to think like him, to act like him. And he gave them dominion over the earth. He said, you can do everything except eat of that apple that I've placed in that garden. And the second that you eat of that apple placed in the garden, you will surely die. All was going well, so Adam and Eve decided to get a second opinion. God, God, God said, if we eat of this tree, uh, we're going to die. It, it is my theological bent that it was not an apple tree, but it was a mango tree, because an apple has never tempted anybody to disobey God. But you get that right Haitian mango that just is God's gift to humanity. I might disobey God's word for a Haitian mango. It's just... It's just different. The problem with Adam and Eve is they got a second opinion. They started talking to some snake, and the snake said, no, 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 you won't die. He doesn't want you to eat that fruit because he's trying to withhold something from you. If you eat that fruit, you will be like God. The basis of all sin and disobedience of God is we think we know better than God. We think there's something we're going to get out of life doing it our way instead of doing it his way. To make matters worse, when they ate of that fruit, they did not die. Instantly, they didn't. Well, one of the confusing things about sin is we get this idea from church that sin is evil, sin is bad, sin will destroy your life, and then when you do it, it feels so good. Somebody says, sin doesn't feel good. I'm like, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) But if you're good at it, And because I don't get the results that the church tells me I'm going to get right away, I get inoculated, inebriated, numb, and I feel like I'm good. What Adam and Eve didn't realize is that when they didn't die in the presence, their future died. And what they didn't realize is, no, you didn't drop dead in the moment that you disobeyed God. But with that disobedience came cancer, came diabetes. Came brain tumors, came anger, came hatred, came hurricanes, came earthquakes and tornadoes, and all of these destructive things of death that were never God's intention for humanity, but came through the portal of disobedience. And here's the wild thing about the amazing God that we serve. He had this idea, I'm going to make man, I'm going to create man on the earth. I'm going to give them the ability to make the right decision and to make the wrong decision. Why would God give us the ability to make our own decisions if he knew that we were going to make the wrong decision? Because he said, I have to make man in my image. And if man doesn't have the ability to make their own decisions, they're not in the image of God. They're just robots. And I refuse to have robots that are forced to serve me. So in his truth to us being in his image, even though he knew that we have the propensity to mess up the simplest thing, he still gave us free will. Here's the amazing thing about the God that we serve. Because he knew that he was going to make man, and he knew that man was going to make the wrong decision, he started to work on a strategy to redeem man before man was ever made and ever had an opportunity to make a mistake. Hear what I'm saying to you. Before you thought of making a mistake, God was thinking of your way out. 
Before you thought of getting yourself in a jam, God said, I've got to make sure I've got a road for them out of the jam that they don't even know that they're going to be in because they haven't even made that dumb decision yet, but I see that dumb decision coming. So when you make that dumb decision, don't worry. I've got to get out of jail free card. I've got a way. Could you imagine what the conversation between God and Jesus was like? God went to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, I've got an idea. I want to make an earth. That's a good idea. That's cool. That's cool. What are you going to put in? I'm going to put mankind in the earth. I like that. I like that. We're going to make them in our image. You know, God, you should be the king of kings and lord of lords because you got some really good ideas. And he said, now, Jesus, here's a problem. They're they're not going to obey us. They're going to make mistakes. Okay, okay, okay. It's not the end of the world. We can fix this. That's why I brought you up. Jesus, uh, we're going to fix this. Uh, I need you to go and die for their mistakes. Hold up. (laughs) Wait a minute. That's why the Bible says that Jesus is the lamb that was slain before the beginning of time. Jesus signed up to die for our sins before the earth was even made. And ever since the fall of man, he's been writing this story to reintroduce himself as I'm not the God that's trying to keep things from you. I'm the God that's trying to get things to you. I'm not the God that's trying to control you. I'm the God that's trying to free you and all the purpose, plan, and destiny that I have for you. He's been writing his story. He planned the moment of Jesus's resurrection at the perfect time in history so that it would have the greatest visibility. And then most people would have an opportunity to surrender to God. He is planning the return of Jesus in the right moment of history so that the most amount of people would have an opportunity to come to know him as their Lord and Savior. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says this. He isn't really being slow about his promised return, even though it sometimes seems that way. You ever heard some old saints in church say, he may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. It's not true. He's late. He is definitely late. On time would be before I lost my job. On time would be before this sickness, or at least last week. This is officially late. God is late. No, no, no. He said, I'm not late. I'm being slow. On purpose. Why? He's waiting for the good reason that he is not willing that any should perish. And he is giving more time for sinners to repent. God says, I don't want anybody to go to hell. Hell was not made for mankind. Hell was made for Satan and his demons. Man only goes there when they, not because of their performance, but because of their rejection of a relationship with God. And do you know the only reason why people don't accept Jesus is because they've believed a lie about him? Like, do you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life is an IQ test. Do you want to pay the punishment for your sin and go to hell forever? Do you want everything in your life to be what you have to work for instead of having God Almighty open doors and give you favor? It's an IQ test. Why would people reject a loving, caring, perfect God? Because they've believed a lie. And God is saying throughout history, I'm writing this story of reintroducing my, I'm not what the snake told you I am. I'm a good father. 
that has a great and a plan and a perfect will for your life. And God says, how am I going to prove to them that I'm this good? And he goes to this man by the name of Abraham. And he said, Abraham, will you partner with me to show the world that I'm a great God? Abraham said, what do you have in mind? Well, he said, here's what we'll do. We'll have you and your wife not be able to have children for over 100 years so that it's medically and scientifically impossible for you to have any offspring. And then after I give you a child, I'm going to wait 12 or 13 years, and then I'm going to ask you to sacrifice that child on an altar unto God. Now, Abraham, if you do it and go up on that altar, when you lift that knife, listen carefully, because there's going to be a second word from me that says, don't kill your son. I never wanted you to kill your son. I just wanted to see if you would do it. I want to see if that child that you had prayed for had become your idol. But now that I know that my word in your life, Abraham, is more valuable to you than even your own child, don't kill that child. I'm going to bless that child and turn that child into a nation. Why? Because anything that we hold on to ourselves is just what we have in our hands. But when we surrender it unto God, he multiplies it and makes it bigger than we ever thought that it ever could be. Stop holding on to that business. Give it to God and watch him multiply it. And he said, Abraham, because you are willing to listen and obey, look over there. There is a ram in in the bush, sacrifice the ram instead. And Abraham said, you are none other than Jehovah Jireh, my provider, the God who provides in the moment of need. And here it is, God Almighty partnering with little man Abraham to show the world that when you have a need, there's a God that will meet it. Then he went looking through history for a man by the name of Moses. And he said, Moses, I have an entire nation that is in bondage crying out to me. I am sending you to be the deliverer of Israel out of Egypt because I'm trying to reveal myself to humanity as the God who delivers. I'm the God that will bring you out. So through Moses' partnership, he's writing this story of there's no situation that you can get yourself in that God can't get you out. And here Moses finds himself between what they would call a rock and a hard place. I've got the Red Sea in front of me and I've got the Egyptians coming behind me to kill me. And God says, you hate where you are. But I planned where you are because where you are is part of the story that I'm writing. Take that staff, stretch it out across the water, part those seas and walk through on dry ground because I am proving to humanity that there is no predicament that you can get yourself in that God can't get you out of. He is a God that will bring you out. Then he went looking for a man by the name of Joshua, and he said, your predecessor Moses proved me to be the God that brings people out, but Moses couldn't bring the people in, and I'm not just a God that brings people out of bad situations, but I'm a God that brings people into their wildest dreams. Joshua, can you take the people across the Jordan River so I can prove to the people that I'm not like man, I do not lie, if I said it, I will do it. Joshua said, well, God, you never made the promise to me, and he said, yeah, I know. I actually made the promise to your great, 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 great predecessor, Abraham. But I'm a God that always keeps his promises, even if I have to keep it in the third and fourth and fifth generation. How many people know that all the success you're walking in right now is not just based on your hard work and your ed education and your discipline and your, your ingenuity? No, 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 no. God is answering prayers in my life that my granddad prayed. And God said, I am going to be faithful to that word. I'm going to bring it to 
the past. It didn't happen in your granddad's life. It didn't happen in your father's life. How many people know you're walking in some stuff that somebody else prayed for, but you're reaping harvest for it? God says, I'm not just a God that delivers. I'm a God that takes in the promises. Then, 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 then he went and he looked for this city girl named Rahab. He's like, I... Rahab was, old folks would have called her a woman of the night. Red light district kind of homegirl. The type of person that humanity had thrown away. You could only imagine the abuse, the injustice, the pain that she had experienced to bring her to the place where that was the only decision that she had for her life. And God went to this woman, Rahab, that humanity had thrown in the trash and said, hey, will you partner with me so I can show the world who I am? Because they need to know that I'm a God that doesn't even comprehend the concept of being too far gone. They need to know that I'm a God, that there's no length, there's no distance, there's no place you can run from me that I cannot heal and forgive and redeem and cover and restore. Rahab, I need you not just to be a part of my story. Will you be a part of my family so that they would know that I am not too good of a God to draw anybody from any story and any experience and any level of mess up? So Abraham, he was a part of the story. Joshua, Moses, a part of the story. Rahab, a part of the family. So when you read the, 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 the ancestry.com of Jesus, you know what you find? You find that Jesus is great, 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 great grandma was a prostitute by the name of Rahab because God wanted to prove himself to the world that I am a God that redeems and restores and overlooks no one. Here's the wild thing about God from the beginning of time. He's been writing a story, but he's refused to write it by himself. He said, I want to partner with humanity to prove myself to a world that's believed a lie about me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, it says this, for we, somebody say, that's me. We are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. You are God's building. God wants to build something great with you. Now that I'm here, let me just mention who you choose as a partner is one of the greatest decisions you could ever make in your life. Matter of fact, who you choose as a partner could be the most important decision you ever make. Now, when I say choose as a partner, I'm not talking about insignificant decisions like who you marry. That's not the partnership I'm talking about. I'm not talking about dumb decisions like who you go into business with. Those, those aren't the important partnerships. I'm talking about the most important partnership you can ever make, and that is who you choose as a spades partner. Somebody said, I think he's in the word. I think he's in the word. I think he's in the word. I have never seen lives ruined more than by picking the wrong spades partner. Some of y'all are really confused. Every time I preach, I try to preach a message that everybody can connect with, that everybody can relate with. This is probably the first time where half of the room is like, you better preach that. And half of the room is like, spades, spades, what's... What's 
spades, spades. Spades is a card game. There's no gambling involved unless you're crazy, not money, anything like that. It's a card game that black people play. It's, I don't know a better way to describe it. You know, other people play bridge. Other people play different uh, black folks play spades. And spades will get you cut. Spades will get you a case. Spades will, spades will ruin a marriage. I've seen people file divorce. What's the wrong? Irreconcilable differences. What happened? He reneged on our hand and I can't deal with the man that reneges on. I just can't do it. Judge looking at them like, what else? That's it. Judge like, approved. I get that. That's, I can't leave you in a marriage like that either. Now I'm laughing and I'm joking. Here's the problem. I am black, but I'm also an immigrant. Where I came from, I didn't grow up playing spades. I grew up playing dominoes. I got you with some dominoes. Don't bring out them spades cards, though. I have been cussed out more times than a pastor should ever be cussed out at a spades table. I'm actually the partner you don't want. After I preached this the first service, somebody said, Pastor, we'll teach you how to play spades. I know how to play, but I don't know how to play. Like, I know the rules, but nobody wants to play with me. <laughs> Here's the wild thing. God could have picked any partner to write his story to humanity. And he picked you. Here's where we get confused, Columbia. We think he just picked Abraham. We think he just picked Rahab or Deborah or Esther or David or Saul. We think he stopped writing. Oh, no, 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 no. He is still writing a story of his greatness to humanity. And he's looking for somebody that said, will you let your story be a part of? Here's what he said. Will you be my space partner? I got 66 books. How many you got? You see what I did there? I just... 66 books in the Bible, there's books in space. Come on, their service. Y'all with me? Y'all just, I got to slow people at 12 o'clock. All right, anyway. No, 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 no. He said, he said, will you let me use your story to write my story? Here's what he said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. We read it last week. He said, therefore, take no thought, saying, Y'all know how I do. I read the Bible and I tell you Stephen's interpretation of the Bible. Take no thought saying what, what we shall eat or what we shall drink or wherewithal, what shall we be clothed. Can I give you my interpretation? Take no thought of your own story. He said, for after these things do people who don't know me seek. He said, for your partner, your heavenly father, he knows that ye have need of these things, but seek ye Here's where we get messed up. He didn't say seek only. Come on, flowers. God never said money doesn't matter. He never said marriage doesn't matter or kids don't matter or career or education. He never said people's opinion of you doesn't matter. He just said it just shouldn't be your first thought. He said your first thought should be I'm in partnership with God. And he's using my life as a billboard to prove to other people that he is good. Seek ye first his kingdom. And here's what God said. He said, if you would team up with me to be a letter of love to humanity, all the things that humanity worries about, I will add them onto your life. 
In other words, what other people have to work 80 hours a week to get, I'll just add it because of favor. If you will sign up to partner with me to be hope to freedom. So you're looking at this like, why am I going through this sickness? And God says, it's a partnership to show the world that I'm a healer. Man, why did my heart get broken in this situation? God said, it's a partnership with me to let everybody know that I'm a restorer. Man, why don't I have any vision for the future of my life? Because it's a partnership with me that I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope in a future. We're looking at the problems in our life of God, why me? And God is saying, why not you? Why can't I take your situation that looks like it's not working out and use it as the paper to write my story that I'm a healer, a redeemer, a restorer, not a respecter of persons, but someone who raises one up and tears. Will you let him use your story as proof to the word that he is good and his mercy endureth forever? Three ways that God wants to partner you. Three ways that God wants to partner with you. First way is this. He partners with us in what we give. A lot of people don't think this, but as we give, our giving is a way that we partner with God. In Matthew chapter 2, we come to this story of what we have created in our American culture as the three wise men. You ever seen the nativity scene? You may have one set up on your mantle. You may see one at a building or whatever it may be. It has baby Jesus in the middle, and there's usually animals around. Jesus is in a, in a manger wrapped in some swaddling clothes, and there's Mary and Joseph, and there's a couple shepherds over here. And then they usually have three kingly-looking magi sitting in this nativity scene. It's great for Christmas. It's just theologically incorrect. The first mistake is those three magi were not at the birth of Jesus. It says that when they came to Jesus, that Jesus was a young child. The second mistake is there is no historical or biblical context for it being three. Matter of fact, it probably was not three. It was probably thousands. And here's why. That when that star appeared in the sky, there were astrologers in a faraway land that had learned from their studies that when this particular star appears, that's an indication that the Savior of the world, that the Messiah has been born. And when they saw that star on the birth of Jesus, they packed up everything and traveled from their country to the next country to see this baby for themselves. It most likely was a two-year journey. And as they packed up their gold, their frankincense, and their myrrh, I don't know what part of town you live in. I don't know what your neighborhood looks like. I don't know how safe your neighborhood is. But where they grew up, you don't travel with gold by yourself. So they would have at least had guards and assistants. They would have been wealthy people and say, hey, I'm not leaving my wife and kids away for two years. They're coming with me. and We need a tent. It was probably a caravan of hundreds of people. Could you imagine the day that they showed up to Jesus' townhouse? Some of y'all have never been elected, but you've anointed yourself the neighborhood watch. You know everything that's going on in your neighborhood, even though nobody asked you to. You the one at the window saying, I think Robert bought a new car. I know he ain't paid off them student loans yet. I don't know what his interest payment is. How do you know? Mind your business. 
Could you imagine what the neighbors were saying when a couple hundred people showed up to Jesus's door? They didn't know they were living next to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It was just some new couple that didn't really know who the daddy was. <laughs> Y'all got to read this Bible right. Why do we say there were three magi? Because there were three gifts. As they came into Jesus, they brought him first gold. Why did they bring gold? Because they were declaring he's a king. And this is a gift that you bring to a king. Then they brought him frankincense. Frankincense was an outrageously expensive perfume that was only used for worship in the temple. Why did they bring him frankincense? Because they were saying, not only is he a king, but he is also God. They were declaring the goodness of God by what they were giving. Why did they bring myrrh? Myrrh was also an incense, a perfume, but a very cheap incense and perfume. And it was used for embalming or funerals. They brought him gold because he was a king, frankincense because he was God, and myrrh because he was the lamb that was slain before the beginning of time. They were declaring, you are my king, you are my God, and you are the sacrifice. Your blood has purchased my forgiveness. By the way, there's three relationships you need with God if your faith is ever going to produce. You need to know him as the king of your life. You need to know him as the divine God almighty of your life. And you need to know him as the blood, the sacrifice, the redeemer of your life. Some people want God to forgive their sins but not control their life. It don't work that way. Some people want God to fix all of their problems, but they want to earn their way into heaven. It doesn't work that way. So here they are. They bring all these gifts to God. and They hear, hey, don't go back the way you came. Hair's going to try to kill you all. Go back another way. Joseph goes to sleep that night. Joseph has a dream. An angel comes and said, Herod knows about the boy. He is going to come and try to kill the boy. Pack your things and go to Egypt tonight. I wish I had time to preach about insecurity, how a grown man, king of a whole nation, is intimidated by a two-year-old. So Joseph wakes up in the middle of the night, packs his home, and flees to Egypt. I got a question for you. How did Joseph pay for the trip? He was a carpenter. Didn't have the means or the foresight to book a room at the Hyatt for his son's birth. But yet he was supposed to fund an escape to the most expensive city in the entire world. It's as if Joseph packed up his family and went to Dubai or Manhattan or Paris or someplace where rent is outrageous. How do you pay for it? Can I tell you how he paid for it? With gold, with frankincense, and with myrrh. Here is God Almighty knowing that two years from now, there's a family that is going to need funding to take a trip. That is going to shape all of history. So let me put on the heart somebody two years in advance to pack up a gift that is going to be needed the exact night that they arrive. Now, I'm not going to tell you what your purpose is, and I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do to get you where I need you to go. But if y'all both will work with me, you will be a part of one of the greatest stories ever written in history. Sometimes God prompts on our heart to give, and we're just like, oh, I gave, it's gone, whatever, on to the next. And you have no idea you have partnered with God to reveal himself to people. Through our I Am Christmas with Union Church, we've already sponsored and adopted close to 500. 
hundred children that we're going to be giving bicycles and Lego sets and dolls and all this other kind of stuff whose parents aren't able to or incarcerated or whatever it may be. And hear me, we ain't buying no bike for a kid just because the kid needs a bike. Not just a bike, it's a message from God that you're not forgotten, you're not invisible, you're not thrown away, you have purpose. It's going to be a message to some child that God sees them and knows them. I was on the phone with a friend of mine this week, and we're really good friends. We don't talk often just because we're super, super busy, and I gave him a call. I said, man, what's going on? He said, man, I'm good. And I'm like, that's awesome, man. What's new? You know, it is what it is. And I'm like, you sure you good? Yeah. I'm like, are you lying? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, man, level with me. What's going on? He's a pastor, has an amazing church, moved to a new building. And I mean, hundreds of people are getting saved and added to the church daily. But you know how you new people are. Y'all don't be giving the first Sunday. So they come in, but they ain't giving. And that was a pastor joke. Y'all missed that one. Y'all missed that one. And he said, man, things financially, they're just tight right now. Church is good. It's growing. Th- things are just tight. And, and you ever heard yourself say something that you didn't really want to say, but you heard yourself say, you said, what did I just say? I heard myself say, how much you need? And I'm having this conversation. I'm like, Stephen, what are you doing? I just, it's like, <laughs> like, how much you need? He said, what did you say? I s- That was my trash in the back now. He said, I said, how much you need? He said, are you serious? No. <laughs> and he said, let me go talk to my team and, and, and we'll figure it out. I said, you do that. Take your time. Take your time. So, I'll be coming back the next morning. So, Here's what I need. I'm like, oh. I said, it's in the mail. You'll have it by tomorrow. He said, Seriously? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I hang up before I change my mind. <laughs> and I'm, I'm having this. This, this is just maybe TMI for y'all. I'm having this thing with God where I'm like, God, this is limitless week. This is a week that we're supposed to be receiving, not giving. God, this is backwards. And I sense instantly, God said, no, no, this is a setup. Because I have, great some, I have something great for Union Church, but if Union Church doesn't have seed in the ground, if you haven't worked your faith, then I have nothing to respond to because I don't respond to need, I respond to faith. So we wrote a check for $50,000, put it in the mail, and sent it. Now y'all sitting there like, oh Lord, is he expecting us to be his return on investment? This sounds like a said, I don't like this story. But guess what? God's going to write his story with or without you. Because I got a call on Friday from people who don't attend this church, have nothing to do with Union Church, and said, God just laid on our heart. Could you use $50,000? We would love to write you a check. God paid back our investment 72 hours after making it, all before we got to church on Sunday. My friend called me and said, you would not believe the prayer I was praying before you called. You wouldn't believe how stressed and overwhelmed I was. And I'm so grateful for you. But this was a sign from God that he's seen us and hasn't abandoned us. And we can partner with God with our giving. Second thing is this. We can partner with God through our obedience. We partner with God with how we obey. So God comes to Joseph in the middle of the night uh, through an angel and said, hey, there you are. Jesus is in trouble. Herod's going to try to kill him. Pack up your things and, and get out of town. Go to Egypt. 
You, we, give, we give Joseph a, a, a bad rap. We, we, we just, I mean, we don't give the man no street cred. We trying to question if he's really the daddy. Like Joseph, he just disappears from scripture. Nobody asks where he went. We just assume he left. Like, I mean, we just are not nice to Joseph. But Joseph is a great man of God that heard from God and obeyed. Says an angel came to Joseph and said, go to Egypt. And, and the Bible says that night Joseph packed up and went. That's how you know he's more godly than me. If God told me to go to Egypt, I would go. I just wait for the morning. I mean, I got to get my Xbox. I got to say hey, bye to my cousins. I, I got to make sure I didn't leave anything. Like, I'm going. Your mama ever told you delayed obedience is disobedience? I was going to clean my room. I was just going to wait till I heard the garage door. No, Joseph heard God, obeyed, and because of his obedience, partnered with God. And it's not the first time that he heard and obeyed. The first time Joseph heard God speak and obeyed is when he was on the way to divorce court. He had all the papers all drafted up, talking about this little two-time and talking about she got pregnant with the Holy Spirit. What you think I am, stupid? <laughs> yeah, right, at least have the guts to tell me you prefer fishermen instead of carpenters. I mean, you could have just said that. He's on his way to file divorce papers, and an angel meets him and says, she's not lying. Don't put her aside. This is nothing but the Holy Spirit. To, I'm, I'm not even joking. To this day, Joseph gets no respect. When you talk about the great men and women of faith in Scripture, his name never comes up. Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Mary. I mean, some denominations in the faith think that you could pray to Mary. Ain't nobody trying to pray to Joseph. His obedience cost him a reputation for eternity. And he said, God, I'll obey. Second time God spoke to him, said to go to Egypt, he went that very night. God spoke to him a third time when he was in Egypt, said it's time to go back, but don't go back to Bethlehem. Go to Nazareth and raise your son there. And every single time Joseph obeyed and had no idea that his obedience was fulfilling prophecy in Scripture. Because the Bible said that the Messiah would come out of Bethlehem. But the same Bible said that the Messiah would come out of Egypt. And the same Bible said that the Messiah would come out of Nazareth. And God wrote those things in Scripture, trusting that thousands of years later, there would be a faithful man that he could trust to obey his voice, even though it did not make sense. And Joseph was fulfilling prophecy thousands of years prior to him. And there are today people that only believe in Jesus because the Bible connects. And God was waiting for one man to say, God, if you say it, I'll believe it. You know what God wants your obedience more than he wants your money? The Bible says this in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than giving. I'm not saying don't give, but... He said, obedience is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Back in the day, offering Sunday, they didn't bring money. They bought rams. Could you imagine how noisy your church was that day? <laughs> All year long, they would have this special ram, and they're feeding this ram and bathing this ram and, 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 and combing this ram. And the whole time, little ram, he thought he was special because they were treating him better than all the other rams. They didn't know they were getting him ready for Limitless Sunday. 
Sunday comes, everybody walks in with their big, beautiful ram because it's offering Sunday. You know what God said? Leave the ram home and bring your obedience. I'm not a genie. You can't buy me. I'd prefer that you did what I asked you to do. God found somebody faithful in Joseph that he could trust to obey his word and his prompting. Can God trust you to obey? Can he trust you to obey his word? Can he uh, trust you to obey his prompting? Can he trust you to obey his plan for your life when his plan differs with your plan? And here comes that little snake. No, 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 don't trust God's plan for your life because his plan has no fun. His plan is boring. His plan just keeps you holy and miserable. His plan is not as great as your plan. Go with your plan. And here comes the wrestle again. Who gets to use my life for their story? Is it my story or is it God's story? Last thing is this, write this down. We partner with God through our giving. We partner with God through our obedience. And finally, we partner with God with what we say. Our words partner with God. Matthew chapter two, verse 23, and it says this, and he, being the Messiah, came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. That, somebody say that it might be fulfilled. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Play, let's land this plane, Sean. God wants to partner with what comes out of your mouth. I don't know why he does this, but God does not do anything on earth without somebody first saying it. You, you, you know, it's wild. God created the entire world. And then he told Adam to name all the animals. Do you really think God didn't know the name of those animals? He said, I don't want to do anything by myself. And here's, here's what the Bible said. The Bible said, whatever Adam called the animals, that was their name. Not like me and Roman doing homework together. Roman will spell something like, no, Roman, that's not how he erased what he wrote. God's like, no, no, whatever you write, that's what it is. You call it a dog, it's a dog. You saw an elephant, call it an elephant. You call it a moose, it's a moose. Why? Because I want your word to create your reality. There's so much that God wants to do in your life in this world, but he's waiting for you to have the guts to say it. The Bible says, we believe, therefore we speak. If you're not willing to say it, you don't really believe it. And what God tells you to say is never going to make natural sense. So prophecy is when someone says something before God does it. Prophecy today is a little whack. Prophecy today, there's no consequences if you're wrong. So I don't know why prophets be getting froggy all election season. They're good. They're good any other time of the year. But at least American prophets, when we come into election season, these jokers lose their mind. And one guy said, the Lord said, this person is our next president. And another guy from another denomination said, the Lord said, this is our... And I'm just like, ooh, somebody going to get stoned tonight. Because y'all both can't be right. And it's wild because you could be wrong and keep on going on prophesying. I don't know if that's right. That shouldn't be how it goes down. But back then, they would stone your tail. And I'm not talking about marijuana is legalized. I'm talking about. <laughs> so they tell one prophet, say he's from Bethlehem. Tell another prophet, say he's from Egypt. Tell another prophet, say he's... the guy who was number three, he knew everybody else's prophecies. 
and he knew somebody had to be wrong. And he's like, if it's me, I ain't here for it. But he had the guts to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. The Messiah is coming out of Nazareth. And because he was able to say that, when Joseph went to Nazareth and raised Jesus in that city, when Jesus came out of that city, it was proof to anybody who knew scripture, this is the one, that somebody had the guts to say way back when and to let me know that God is faithful to his word. Will you say what God says instead of what you see? Will you be the one standing in that hospital room hearing the doctor say, there's nothing we can do? And faith doesn't throw out wisdom. That doesn't mean we don't use medication and surgery and all the wisdom that God's allowed us to get through science and biology and all that. But until heaven takes over this situation, we're going to go with wisdom. But I'm going to say what heaven says, not what you said. You said there's no cure. Heaven said by his stripes, we have already been healed. I'm just waiting to see it here on earth as it already is in heaven. I dare you to say over that relationship what God is saying over it instead of what anger is saying over it. Because anger is saying, I ain't got no more time for you. I'm done with you. But God's word said, I'm able to take the heart of kings and direct them anywhere I go. I'm the God that takes a heart of stone and turns it into flesh. Whose words are you going to repeat? The words of that snake? Or the words of what God said. Because if you, he said, if you look at that mountain and have the guts to say, be thou removed and cast into the sea, ye will have whatever ye says. Not praise. Says. So God wants us to give to write a story on earth. Somebody say amen. God wants us to obey to write his story here on earth. Somebody say amen. But God wants control of what's coming out of your mouth. He said, will you let me use your words to create my word in this world and let people know that I am who I say I am. God's looking for a co-author. There's a job opening. Would you be interested in applying? Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful. We're dumbfounded. We're overwhelmed. God, everything you do, you could do without us. But God, you choose not to. God, you choose to partner with us to use our lives for your glory. Right where you're sitting, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just give God a moment to make this time to make this message personal to you. Maybe for so many of us, we've been overwhelmed because we thought our life was in our hands. And God said, if you let me, I'll write it for you. And it'll be better than anything you could ever write yourself. I can't close without giving some even opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. If you'd be honest with yourself, you'd have to say, Pastor, I believe in God. I just don't belong to God. I definitely have never partnered with God. I'm doing my own thing. I didn't even know he cared to be a part of my life. Or maybe this whole church thing is new to you and you didn't know that God was writing this story and wanted to include you in it. Well, he does. Here's the question. How are you going to act? Are you going to keep plowing ahead in your own strength? Or are you going to let the one that created you and knows all that he has for you take control of your life? 
Whether you're watching online or one of our campuses in the room, if you would say, Pastor, that's me. I've been in control of my life. I've been a Christian, but I've been controlling my life up to this moment. And I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready to give God all that I am. Couldn't be more proud of you. This is your moment. Don't miss it. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and you're not praying to me. You're praying to God. You're saying, God, I'm giving you my life. And as you do this, the Bible says that he will erase every mistake of your past and your future and take every step with you going forward. If that's your decision today, pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for thinking about me before I was even born. Thank you for dying on the cross shedding your blood so that all of my sin, all of my mistakes can be erased. Right now, in this moment, I surrender. I make you the king of my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. And use me to write your story here on earth for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Come on, church. Can you celebrate for every single person that just made the greatest decision ever? Come on, Flowers. Come on, Baltimore. That's a golf clap. Can you act like somebody just crossed from death into life?